the coaches network bringing the game together Karen, some people say well, well what does that mean does that mean putting an arm around someone no it's caring for me as a coach is is actually putting the the player at the center of everything you do the coaches network bringing the game together you're now listening to the coaches network a podcast aiming to bring people at the heart of coach and player development together my name is Coach Yas, a UEFA A licensed, FA Advanced Youth Award and FA Goalkeeper B licensed coach. With over 10 years of experience working in youth football from grassroots right through to Premier League academies, I'm currently operating as an affiliate tutor for the FA alongside working towards a Masters in Performance Football Coaching. Today I'm going to be joined by my co-host and the Coaches Network Analysis Specialist, Coach Ben. Ben is a UEFA A licensed coach who holds the FA Youth Award and a Masters in Sports Coaching with 10 years of experience including working across the male and female youth development pathways alongside a vast experience on individual player and team performance analysis. And as part of our insight series, we'll be joined by a range of individuals working across multiple disciplines within the coaching world in order to explore their journeys and dig deeper into their experiences so that we can leave you with some golden nuggets to help you reach your full potential. Welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Network, guys. My name's Coach Justin. Today I'm joined by my co-host, as usual, Ben. Um, and we've got a very special guest with us today, a national coach developer in the women's game, Mark Swells. How are you, Mark? Morning, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's nice to, nice to be here this morning. Likewise. Um, so, Mark, you know, we'll get straight into it. You know, obviously try and get a bit, bit of understanding about your journey as quick as possible. Um, where did that coaching journey start for you? Um, well, without giving away my age, I've, I've been coaching probably now for almost 25 years of my life. Um, so for me, it, it started quite young while I was still competing and playing playing football and other sports. So my first experience of coaching was as a 16-year-old working working with just grassroots and, and taking Saturday morning clubs in my local sports centre, um, which, was, which was a great experience even then, just from a from a playing perspective of having a, a slightly different stance on, on what the game looked like when you're trying to teach it to others. So that's probably probably what hooked me into coaching as, as much as anything else. Um, but majority of my, my coaching career and teaching career stems from being a, a teacher and worked in a, an independent boys' school for 14 years. Um, so a lot of that time... You know, sport is incredibly important to independent schools. So every day I was coaching, whether it was football or basketball, rugby, whatever sports it was, I was I was constantly coaching. And during that time, I did my best to carry on coaching outside of school as well, which was difficult at times, just with the, the time constraints. Um, so, you know, that, that's been a massive part in terms of my, my coaching career. And then, you know, Following on from that, my, my coaching moved more towards non-league football to start off with and also then working with my own son's teams. And um, every I think there's many a dad that can resonate with that experience of, of coaching your own children. So, you know, lots of experiences across the times and, and that's, that moved me into... Um, you know, after my teaching career, you know, I moved out of teaching and decided that professional football was a, a route I wanted to explore and I, and I moved down to, to Millwall 
um, and took on board the role of head education and welfare. Um, but that also allowed me to to do some coaching, but also sitting in around other coaches, which was you know a real fantastic experience. And then from then on, I've moved into the FA um, and and carried on coaching as much as possible. Which, as you know, I mean you're delivering courses for us now in terms of tutoring. It is quite time consuming, um, unsociable hours, so it's not always easy as much as possible to 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 coach as much as I like to now. Um, and probably the last thing, sort of really before we move on would be to my experience of technical director at Chelsea and, and looking after the RTC for a season which was you know, a fantastic experience for me Brilliant I'm just going to kind of touch on there, you know, something that um, certainly a lot, of, a lot of coaches listening to this and a lot of people listening to this generally might, might resonate with is that whole element of being a parent and coaching your child I mean I'm, I'm from a I guess from a perspective that I don't know. I don't think I coach my child <laughs> um, for, for a couple for a couple of reasons. Um, I think it's very it'll be very difficult for me to you know find the right balance of being too nice and too yeah. harsh because you have you, you have you have you know naturally I think you have uh, higher expectations of your own children. Yeah, completely. Um, I think also on the flip side, you don't want to you know you want to you want to be enjoy it as a as a parent and not as Specifically, a coach. Yeah. Um, I'm just talking to that a bit. You know, yeah. Some of the challenges that you. Yeah, it's it's that. a really interesting subject um, because, you know, I think what we should say first of all is so many grassroots teams would not happen without dedicated parents and then you know, dads and mums that that end up taking teams with kids at a young age. The the game would not survive with, without those, and it it is a real credit to those people that they stand up and, and, and do this for their kids and other people's kids, which is absolutely brilliant. But you're right. It, it, it brings some challenges and I've got, well, I've got three children, two boys and a daughter. Um, both the boys have played football all the way through and still playing. And um, my daughter was more artistic and, and went down that route. So, so we never really ventured into football with her, but you're right. A lot of the lessons I, I learned with my eldest son, I, I put into practice with, with my younger one in terms of everything you've talked about there, the balance of not being too hard, but also not being um, too sort of, what's the word, being overprotective of them as well in terms of you know not overplaying them, not, not playing them too little. The balance and the challenge of that was, was really difficult. Um, yeah. And you're right in terms of that idea of being a parent as well is that you always want to watch the game and you I don't think there's any parent that doesn't go to a game and, and doesn't just you know at times just focusing on their own son or daughter mm. in terms of what they're doing on the game so it is it is often hard but I certainly say I had the pleasure of teaching my son as a as a pupil as well so <laughs> that, that's a double whammy in terms of spending every day and with him in the same school was was interesting as well. Um, but yeah, I think some of the the, the key messages with with that is is that somehow you have to block out that it's your own son or daughter, and you have to just as you said treat them as just a part of the group. You know, pick up on their behaviours, and I think that's probably one of the things is that your own child will always push the boundaries maybe a little bit more because you're their dad or mum. So. And leaving it on the playing field as well, and that's probably one of the biggest things I learned was, you know, when you walk off that training pitch, when you walk off 
that pitch at the end of the game is is let it be um, and, and and move yeah. on and 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 don't don't scrutinise it all. Don't look back at it and and be overly critical. Just just on that, then you know, would you mind just talking to maybe some of the conversations that that, that you know that needs to be had with players or, um, if you are a parent, maybe after the game. I feel like a lot of uh, and I say this quite a lot. You know, I'm yet to come across a parent who I feel that doesn't have a genuinely good intention to maybe yeah. support their their child, whether you know, boy or girl, um, son or daughter. Um, but sometimes it's, it does come down to maybe lack of education or misunderstanding yeah, completely. in that respect, and how to maybe support that child or that yeah. player in particular. I think um, I think some one of probably the biggest things that I ever did in terms of and you you hit the word exactly there education and it's not just education of the players it's investing as much time if if you're going to take a group of players as a parent and you know that you've got parents on the side that one are their their kids but they're probably friends of yours as well which you've got to educate them in, in how they can support their their sons or daughters off the pitch as well and the the, the story goes that and we still laugh about this and I still have parents because we're all still all friends and we still see each other is um we did an education even on, on what was important for, for the kids on and off the pitch and, and how parents could support their players. And, and, and it made us laugh because I can't, I can't remember the title of the video and it'll be on YouTube somewhere, but it's, uh, it's, it's basically what you should say to your, your, your child after a game of football. And it's very simple. And it was to get in the car or that walk home. And it was to turn around and say to them, I love watching you play football today and leave it at that. And, what was so funny about that was just the reaction of the of the boys in the team at the time that their parents just they almost looked and just go what's coming is there's a there's a hidden agenda here but you know we shouldn't you know especially in grassroots and development football we we shouldn't be there to scrutinize the result the the goals that are missed the tackles that are missed those mistakes it's it's actually appreciating that the players the boys and the girls are there just to have fun and, and enjoy the game and the kids are resilient. They don't remember the result five minutes later. You know, we could have lost 10-0. And then in five minutes, they're off down the road. They're, they're kicking the ball around. They're having a laugh with their mates. And, and it's not bothered them. It's only the parents and, and the coaches that potentially are still mulling over the result or what could have been. So that that's something I'd encourage any coach to do is go to, and, and parents, sorry, to turn around into their child and just say, I love watching you playing football today. Because it just makes them realise that it's more than just about the result. It's about just the enjoyment of being around your kids and, and sport. Definitely. And, you know, Julia, do you have any advice to maybe those coaches? You touched there, you know, those parents who maybe stepped into an environment where they're trying to support the club in uh, maintaining uh, a team or retaining a group of players because they need someone to yeah. manage that. Just how important it is for maybe those those parents to actually still go ahead and still go and take the qualifications um, to maybe support themselves on that side of things. I think a lot of them, you, know, you see it all the time and you, know, you, can't, you can't always blame them because I don't think there's enough uh, uh, sanction or restriction put around those that don't actually go ahead and yeah. do it. Um, yeah, I think. Around I think, how important that yeah, is. Yeah, I think, you know, the qualifications, especially level ones and twos, as you know, are there to, you know, promote and support this positive learning environment and encourage um, people that maybe have not coached that much to just to, to realise that 
whether it's football or whatever sport it is, that is still the person first and the player second when we're talking about those those young age groups and those those introductions to to coaching and playing. It, it's not all about the tech and tech. It's about you know just understanding how you can create an environment where these kids want to turn up. And the most important thing is that they want to turn up next week and the week after. And and yeah. and the qualifications is you know are there to to aid that journey of learning for the coach. It's not the be all and end all. And and what we have to recognise is that you know people have to take on board the information that's delivered on these courses, and then they've got to go and build on that knowledge and, and go away and talk to others about it and and sort of reflect on what it means for them rather than it being just. I've, I've done the course, I'm now a qualified coach. That's just part of the journey. It's a small mm. part of the journey and, and finding mentors and finding people that you can talk to and being around is, is crucial for any young coach or, as you said, a, a parent coach, someone that stepped into the reins. Mm. And it just, you know, just to kind of build on that, then, you know, what would you say is uh, some practical steps that those parents could be taking aside from the qualifications to maybe develop themselves um obviously you know for those that have that almost like as i refer to it maybe lack of education or misinformation yeah around how to support their players or their children rather. yeah I, th- I think I, I i don't think it matters what whatever job you do as a, as a full-time job in terms of as as a person that might step into a coaching role you you're going to have experienced in your time moments where you've been treated really well and you're going to have moments where you've, you've realised that the behaviours of others has really affected your performance. And I, and I think sometimes we, we forget that we, we've all had those experiences and we've all had experiences where, um, just in our social lives, where the way that things have gone maybe hasn't made us feel very good and, and you almost have to put yourself back into the, the players, the child's shoes and, and realise that, what you say and what you do in your, your body language and your mannerisms can have a huge effect on, on, a, on the player's willingness to, to turn up and play and, and be involved in the sport. So, you know, I think self-reflection is a massive part, first of all, of, of why you're doing it and what you're doing and, and relating it to how those, those children might, might think. Um, you know, Everyone would say, I'll oh, watch more football and get an understanding, but we all know that the, the professional game and the, the Premier League and everything we see on telly is not the same as, as taking grassroots. So the second part would be to just observe other coaches, and that's not saying better coaches, it's just observe the behaviours and experiences that you see going on in and around you. And, and then it's the skill is to take, well, what does that mean for me and how, how might I use that and also, not always taking the good bits, but realizing there's some bits that I don't want to take, and, and maybe you've seen them in yourselves, but seeing them in something somebody else makes you realize that. Um, so I don't think it's an easy journey, and, and I think it, like anything, it's it, it takes time, and and you know it needs, especially with grassroots clubs. I think it needs just to make sure that there's people in around the club to support those those coaches that are just starting out and just not lead them on their own um and definitely I, I think what you know i want to take back to your yeah. journey now obviously you started off a technical director of the girls side and, uh, over at chelsea what was that like what were some of the key things that you had to kind of uh you know well that do as part of yeah that i mean that was that was really you know i'd worked for the fa for probably three four years at that point and then you know we're working full-time with 
um, coach development and working with coaches across a complete range in terms of primary, secondary, mixed classes, but also delivering predominantly, you know, level two UA for B at that point as well. So, you know, I had a real blend of coach development support coaches. But, you know, what working at Chelsea made me made me realise within the RTC was just the growth of the, the women's game at that point and, and the girls' game and really blew my mind to a certain extent at the level of the quality of some of the players that were majority of the players that were in um, Chelsea RTC was unbelievable Um, but it but it also showed me how far there was still to go in terms of what was achievable Um, and you know I think I look back at the under 16s that point and uh, there was out of a squad of 16 I think we had 11 internationals playing so you were really working Mm. with some outstanding players and I mean, it's actually been really pleasing this week. And if anyone follows sort of Chelsea's women's team, that Charlotte Fleming, who who was there at the time, when, I think she was under-15s then, she's just signed her first professional contract. So it shows that there is player development going on in her RTCs and um, supporting the development of the game. But the, the key thing for me probably was the passion of the coaches as well that I was working with and you know, to a certain extent, their willingness to, to take on board information and, and support the growth of the game. Yeah, and um, just on that, like, obviously you're at Millwall and uh, with Chelsea, uh, what would you say was, like, the sort of, like, differences that you saw in terms of, like, expectations of the players? Because you, you've obviously, obviously the the difference, uh, you, you know, with the Chelsea sort of female players in the female game and like Millwall in the in the boys game uh, it would have been different so was there any sort of um, difference in the approach that you saw with the sort of support that the players got yeah great great question I, th- I think there's, there's a couple of things that I think you know my time at Millwall we have to remember is the the boys academy program and, and the work that's been going on in the boys game is so many years ahead of where we are with the with the women's and girls mm. game. So from a support and an infrastructure perspective, the my time at Millwall, you know, you think I sat, you know, there was 20, 20 odd staff that were working across the age groups. So this was just at the start of the E Triple P and then the the investment that Millwall put into being a, a cat two academy. Um, so there there was definitely more staff. There was definitely more support off off the grass in terms of um, what what the players got and also probably just the time still at that point in terms of the t- amount of time on the grass and, and that sort of mm. developed more now. You know, if I look back at where we were at Chelsea a few years ago to what I'm seeing now when I go into the RTCs as a coach developer is they're definitely spending more time on the grass, which is invaluable and... Um, that was probably the biggest difference. Just the contact time with, with the players in the first instance um, was mm. was between the two. Um, as for coaching, you know there there are subtle differences between coaching boys and girls, um, but but what is the same is the passion and the energy of the coaches to to get the best and do the best that they can. So that was the same, um, and probably the only other obviously biggest difference and this is something that we're constantly working on is is the tempo and the challenge in terms of the competitiveness 
in terms of the girls and, and driving that forwards. Whereas I think, you know, within the boys' academies and within Millwall, there, there's almost this, there's a slightly different inner drive that, that comes out with the boys. Whereas at the moment, we're still trying to drive the tempo of sessions and, and progress the game because it's so so early in its development still within the, the women's and girls' game at Chelsea. But that, that you know, we're going back a few years now. And, mm. and where that is now is, is made huge strides. The quality and, and the tempo of the game is just going up and up every, every season. Yeah, you've already started to kind of touch on it um, there. Well, I just wanted to delve a bit deeper because like, um, I've had like a bit of experience as well, like in the RTC side and now right, okay. on the academy side as well. And I just wanted to like kind of give the listeners a bit of an idea of like, you know, the sort of differences and similarities that there is in, like, you know, coaching mm. uh, girls uh, girls' football and boys' football. Yeah, no, that's, no, that's a great point. And, you know, it's, it's easy to miss that they're all just footballers and, and we treat them all the same. And to a certain extent, there are so many things in terms of the game and the way that you approach it with, with boys and girls is the same. I mean, one of the challenges is, you know, from the physical perspective that, the, the differences in terms of what boys and girls can do at the same physical age group potentially can be different. So we have to take on board the the physical age of of the players when when you're you're coaching girls compared to boys and and being appreciative that um, it's different. Um, and also, you know, that links into the risk of, of injuries as well. You probably see there's there's potentially a lot more ACL injuries within the women's game, yeah. and that's potentially linked to the sort of physiological makeup of the body compared to, to the boys around the knee joints and the hips. So, uh, you know, we have to be a little bit more considerate around how we apply ourselves in terms of the physical side of the game. Um, and then I'd, I'd say, you know, one of the biggest things is the social aspect is that, you know, young, young girls like reassurance. They like to ask questions. They like to know why they're doing what they're doing. Whereas often I think, you know, boys are quite happy to follow the lead and, and do, do things without asking too much questions unless they're explored by the coach. So I think if you're coaching young girls, you've got to be prepared to explain and, and, and be prepared to answer questions in more detail so that they can interpret the information before they go on the pitch. Whereas boys will do it and then maybe ask questions later. Um, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it, go on, sorry. Yeah, so it, it definitely does. I feel like, um, uh, like the sort of thing you you see, like with the what what people would perceive as like limitations, is actually like opportunities to be a bit more creative. Because in the sense that like the female game tends to be a bit slower, what you do see is that like the sort of tactical pictures clearer. Mm. Uh, so I and what I tend to find anyway is that like like um, like girl uh, girl players are better learners because they're actually listening to yeah what you're what you're saying and a bit more tentative to the words that you're um, you're using as well and like uh, with them you have to be a bit more creative with the sort of interventions that you do yeah um, I to think get across right. to them yeah I think that that whole point of you know in and uh, uh, I use the word intelligence, but I don't mean it in a derogatory way to yeah. boys or girls. But what I mean is that they, they're incredibly thoughtful at times about what they're doing. And, um, 
you know, they will ask fantastic questions. But if you're not careful, that question and answer session could go on two, three, four, five minutes. And it's having the skill of, you know, being able to make sure that you get your message across and get them back into the game and support the, them during the, the moments within practice rather than it always being a stop-start question and answer. Um, but, you know, it's, I, I think that happens with boys as well. I think it's just more predominant when you're working with, with young, young girls in terms of football. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, the, the other thing I want to kind of touch on in, in regards to that is that um, obviously the dynamic of um, the women's game is getting a, a lot better now and quite mm. uh, long may it continue uh, but like there's still a bit of like disparity in terms of like the sort of you know financial opportunities that mm. are op- open to uh, women in the game in a playing, playing aspect Um what did you see in terms of like the sort of differences in terms of like expectations from parents then? Because obviously in, in the boys' game, in the academy game, that you know, yeah. a lot of parents are banking on their kids to <laughs> uh, to make it, and yeah. that, uh, in the female game, that is a is a lot more of a pure sort of um, love for the game, isn't it? Yeah, and and I, and I think actually to a certain extent, the boy the the boys' academy and, and the boys' game can learn potentially a lot from from the women's and girls' game in terms of this whole idea of dual pathway and and sort of mm. education linked to the football as well. And I think, you know, just sidetracking, you know, rugby does this very well. Some experiences of working and then being in around um, Saracens, they have a fantastic programme where their they're elite international athletes are still being educated around uh, finance. They're being educated around um, what they might do when their rugby career finishes and supporting their development. And I think that's something that, that the, if you're going to at the moment try and succeed within the women's game and become a professional footballer you've, you've definitely still got to have an, an idea of, of what you're going to do next and, and maintain mm. um, an education stance so you're right I think you know we have to be careful of within the boys academy game of not as a parent throwing all our eggs in one basket and thinking that they're going to um, millions from playing in the Premier League we all know the numbers that do that are incredibly small um, but keeping keeping their feet on the ground and, and within the women's and girls game is is just like you say there's, there, there has to be more of an innate passion to just want to play football and, and, and be the best they can to to move forward into the professional game knowing that it's not going to make them a a full time living long term. They're not going to retire on their on their football wages, shall we say? Yeah, I think um, that's a good point that you that you make there in terms of like that sort of uh, rugby circle. It kind of like jogged my memory in terms of like what like uh, you know is done in America with their other sports as well, like where mm. they kind of have to get like scholarships as well, and like you know they, they do it alongside their education and. Uh, and in the sense there, it's quite, it's quite flexible because obviously if they do see someone of a clear talent, they they, they commit like one year to like a university and then they, they go on to become professionals. And I think that is something that could probably be adopted. Um, now, just going uh, back into your timeline, that uh, you've been with the FA for uh, about seven years now. Uh, yeah. Where did that journey start? Well, that, that, that journey started um, at Millwall, really, and um, an ex-colleague and, and probably someone that everyone can relate to, um, Ben Barlett, was our FAYCD, and 
you know, I had a really good relationship with Ben while I was at, at Millwall and you know, we were talking about coach development and everything and it and it was just by chance that he mentioned, Oh, there's there's this new unit starting up within within the FA and and it was certainly not a point in my career where I thought <clears throat> I want to leave Millwall because I was having such a fantastic time and, and what a great environment and great people there were at Millwall at that time and you only have to look at what obviously Neil Harris and, and Dave Livermore are now doing at, at Cardiff were under 18s and under 23s coaches at the time while we were there and um, you know the it was quite a tough decision but I always saw coach development and, and being more in and involved around the coaching side and, and linking back to my previous job or physical education that the PE unit team was was a, a good step for me so that that allowed me to to spend more time again looking at the the younger age groups the secondary age groups but then also working with teachers and coaches around pretty much what we talked about already you know that positive learning environment how to get the best out of young players and and working in a a very um diverse area in terms of differentiation in ability age but also gender as well in mixed ability groups yeah, and I just want to kind of harken back there because uh, um, doing PE and uh, being like a PE teacher, it must have gave you like quite like a decent foundation in, in your coaching in the sense that, you know, you're taking so much like disciplines from like other sports. Yeah. Um, the aspect of your, of already that you said that like working with um, varied abilities. So how do you kind of like, you know, touch the individuals in, in that sense there? Um, so, like, how did your role, like, um, work on a day-to-day in that sense? Yeah, I don't think you can underestimate the the power of sort of multi-sport background when you move into a a more elite sort of environment when you you sort of focus on one sport. I mean, the, hmm. the benefits of teaching physical education, and, you know, I'm lucky that you know, the school that I worked in for 13 years was a, an independent boys' school. We we had competitive sports coming out of our ears in terms of football, basketball, rugby, athletics, cricket, golf. You know, we, we were very fortunate to have a, a fantastic programme that I led for, for 12 of those 13 years. And, you know, I use the terminology, the 10,000 hours and everything. I, I, you know, mm. Every day I was coaching, I, you know, I was teaching and coaching and I had so many opportunities to explore what, worked and what didn't work and that old cliche you know there's so many times that I failed in terms of some of my lessons and some of the things we did but it just provided an opportunity to to learn and and build on that for the future but you know going back to that you know drawing on experiences from other sports is massive and uh, I'd encourage any grassroots coach and and everything to look at the strategies and, and some of the skills that you can you can take from other sports and especially in that primary age where fundamental movements and movement skills and coordination is, is crucial to any sport and then I think you know football especially can can learn still learn from that that you know multi-sport activities builds physical literacy it builds foundations that can be transferred in, into football um, massively so 
you know that that's big for me basketball was very a big one from the movement you know the the change in direction the the, the acceleration and deacceleration that needs to happen in a game of basketball is has has transferred a lot into my my football coaching just just on the, you know kind of just take you back to your current role now a little bit uh, you know you touched there on about different ways which maybe coaches can now maybe become more self-aware and reflect and try and, uh, you know, I guess adopt some of their prior experiences and understanding from other aspects of their, I guess, their coping journeys. So, yeah. you know, just transfer it into the football context. In your role now as a national coach developer, um, large, obviously a large part of that is supporting the development of coaches ongoingly. What does that look like on a day-to-day? And is it, you know, is there, is there some common um, areas in which you feel that coaches that, you come across or that you've observed from your experience demonstrate as uh yeah consistent areas which you know coaches do for need support with yeah to really start to yeah. yeah yeah no so sort of the day-to-day job at the moment looks obviously very different at the moment in terms of um pre-lockdown but we're, we're still even now you know focusing on some of the the key fundamentals that any coach whether you're level one or right up to the a license and pro license coaches that we're working with is you know it's as much the planning and preparation and understanding the level of detail that you want to get across to your players is is probably one of the biggest things that we're we're always working on and I don't think any coach will will say that they've you know even at the top end of the men's game your clops your Guardiola's will always say that they've never coached the perfect session because there's always things that will Will, will change and the dynamics will, will, will differ within sessions. But, but what you can do is, and this is something we work really hard with coaches on, is, is to be planned, prepared for plan A and, and have ideas in your head and, and or written down of what plan B and even plan C may look like if things change and you have to adapt within the training session. So having a clear learning objective for your training session is, is crucial knowing what you're, you're teaching, your coaching points are that you're going to get across and how you're going to present that to the players. But but being aware that, and you, you guys will know this in terms of in your coaching, that you walk into a session and you plan this perfect session. Now, all of a sudden, five minutes in, you've lost three players or you've now had to change the dynamics of the area that you're using. A good coach will have an adaptive plan. They'll be able to think on their feet or have something in their minds that they've already pre-prepared in that what-if moment. So that would be a massive encouragement point for me in terms of any coaches. Plan for the ultimate left session, but but be prepared that it's probably not going to end up like that once you actually get on the grass and you've got to be able to adapt. Just on that, then, so, you know, my... My own personal uh, planning process, you know, always leads me to having almost three variants of the same session. Yeah. Um, so I've always got one for the ideal number. One if I had um, <clears throat> less players um, than than I'd expect, and then one if I always had more more players than I, I'd expect. But I think ultimately, what stays consistent is if I know what I'm looking for, looking to gain out of the yeah. session, uh, and I have a deeper understanding of those outcomes then I think planning the session becomes very simple for me um because I know what I'm looking for whether that is with five players whether that's with 25 yeah. players um, yeah. and I think from my experience certainly as a coach you know working in the coach education field now as well I see that a lot of coaches have 
just very set myself you know this is how the session is going to be and you referred to it earlier about having a perfect session i think i don't think there is i don't think there is any, any no. such thing as a perfect session because if it was perfect would it would almost be flawless to the point where if it was flawless are the players even getting anything out of yeah. it um other than possibly just ticking over physically and maybe getting some i guess social stimulation mm. from that perspective that makes yeah. sense um so i think you know, very, very important to highlight, you know, that it is about planning. You know, it's it really important to plan. And I think more so for me, it's just understanding, making it clear for yourself as well as the players involved, what the outcome yeah, or, yeah. or what the expected yeah. outcome And And like. I think I think with that, I think the, the point to add, and, I, and I'll, I'll reflect back to a sort of a, a very, very interesting story from the P team, and it, and it relates to what you're talking about, is that, Planning the perfect session doesn't mean that if someone turns up, the session looks like um, it's it's clean, it's tidy in terms of the movements are exactly what you want. For me there, there's no learning going on. I think probably one of the biggest moments I remember within my time in the PE team in terms of that was a head teacher coming out to a, to a lesson because they looked out the window and there's balls flying everywhere and there's kids running all over the place. And and it looked like the teacher had no control over the lesson, but but the point was the teacher knew what the learning objective was. The kids had a clear idea; they were performing it, but they were failing, and, and they were failing because they were learning about the outcome that was trying to be achieved, and they were working towards the success. And therefore, you know, any any session that you put on with with your players at whatever level, there's got to be a degree of failure. And otherwise, no learning's taking place. And, and mm. sometimes it's probably some of the challenges we have as coach developers is that coaches think they have to put on the perfect sessions. Therefore, they play safe um, and, and, and they keep it simple and, and it looks really nice. But actually, are you stretching and challenging those players to, to do more than what they're capable of? Because if you're not, then you're not developing players. You're, you're just facilitating training. Um, so... You, you know, the the word that I'll add to this then is as a coach, you've got to be able to be vulnerable. And the vulnerability is being prepared to know that your session could look messy and, and, and the kids, the boys, the girls, whatever age, are going to get it wrong to start off with. And your job is to build on those experiences and scaffold whatever information you're going to share with them to to make them get better at that. So you get to a point where all of a sudden it, it might start to look a little bit tidy and more like what you're going after. Definitely. I think within that vulnerability you talk about there is that element of honesty. So, I mean, I've certainly been in situations where I've observed coaches try something new, but maybe, I, you know, and I've, I've been in a situation myself where I've tried something. I'm, I'm actually quite honest with the players. You know, I've, yeah. I've, I've, this is something I've put together. I've not tried this before. Let's see how it goes. This is what I'm expecting to mm. see. And I think that in itself that vulnerability and that honesty allows the players to accept that you know it's not only the coach it's not only us that are learning here the coach is also learning and we're, we're, we're almost on that journey together if that makes sense yeah completely um, and I feel like from that from just doing that from my experience is that the players tend to have more of a buy-in into that practice or that mm. session that we're trying, trying to get um, get off the ground in that respect yeah yeah um, and so just to add that, I think that's why it's really important, you know, whatever level you're, you're coaching at, to, to have someone to bounce ideas of and, and share that vulnerability as well, because it can be the worst thing in the world as a as a parent coach, going back to our earlier conversations of, of being on your own and, and, and feeling pressured that it's 
all these eyes are watching you and, and it looks like it's going wrong. So, you know, my, my other bit of advice to the coaches is always, um, always provide an opportunity for parents to know what you're working on and, and understand the, the, the ideas that you're trying to get across and that actually this is going to look messy because parental eyes often will go, he's got no control, he doesn't know what he's doing and it creates a really um, poor environment generally for, for the players to learn in the future. Hmm. Mm. You know, just to kind of you know come back to you a little bit now. What would you say are the fundamentals of your own coaching philosophy? Mm. Um, yeah, this. I mean, this for me. This this is something that you know, coaching philosophies. I think grow. Uh, I mean, I used an analogy recently in a webinar that we delivered that um, the one thing that doesn't change is and I use a, a tree as the sort of analogy, sort of the roots are your values and, and your real beliefs in terms of um, what you stand for. And for me, you know, some of the some of the ones that have grown and, and got stronger as my roots as I've got older is this this caring nature. And, and, I, and I use the word caring. Some people say, well, well, what does that mean? Does that mean putting an arm around someone? No, it's... Caring for me as a coach is is actually putting the the player at the centre of everything you do, and and that doesn't mean being nice to them all the time. In terms of you know you can be tough and you can and you can challenge them and stretch them, but but caring for me is something that in my philosophy means that I'm I'm putting the player, I'm putting the the individual at the centre of everything I do, um, and I think you know linked to that is sort of that idea of being the best that you can be. Uh, you know, all the way through my playing career and, and supporting career, I always wanted to be the best that I could. And, and I always, even now within my coaching, I want to make sure that whenever I walk off that pitch, I've, I've, I've left those players in a better place than where they were before. And, and I suppose the third word that I'd add to my philosophy would be quite driven um, in terms of linking to those two things, you know, empowering players, making them wanting to to support them and getting better um but but doing it in a way that respects them as an individual as as well as a player definitely i'm just going to kind of just kind of build on that a little bit more then you know having that philosophy is key and obviously key one of the key things you said there and i kind of resonate really resonate with that isn't that i want to leave that session knowing the players are in a better place Mm or at least have been challenged in some way that they weren't challenged before. Uh, whether that be just simply sparking a thought in their minds, yeah. giving them something to think about. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a technical outcome in that respect or a tactical outcome, but just even just them becoming more consciously aware of what they're doing and, or, or challenging why they're doing it in that respect. So I think that is key for me. Um, for yourself as a coach, then, or just as, a, as an individual now, what helps you to stay inspired and keep yourself motivated you know keep on developing and be at your best because you know large part of your role is about supporting others and developing others yeah how much of that you know how much of that needs to be i guess intrinsic in that respect and where do you get your intrinsic motivations from i think it's a really good it's a good question i mean the, the the challenge of the roles that we do is we don't get a huge amount of time to coach as much you know i'd be coaching every day i've had the chance um you know, every day I look at, 
I look around and, I, and I'm seeing more and more coaching going on and I just want to get back on the pitch myself and, you know, our jobs at the moment, we're not able to. But, you know, my 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 drive and, and my sort of inner sort of is is a thirst for even my own personal knowledge because wherever I go, whichever coach I support, I'm always, there's always a strand of me that going, right, how would I use this? What could I use this in? Because I think, you know, coaches, coaches are magpies. You know, no one is really inventing something genuinely new. We're always just tweaking and, and, and changing things that we see from other people. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to have some really good role models and and, and people. And, and I suppose that links in with it is that I, I, whenever I coach as well as I, 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 or I do coach development, I want people to um, be inspired to to take something that they think they might be able to use in their own environments. Um, but I don't know. I think, that, you know, one of the things I would say is that, and you could ask anyone that I coach is that I, I come alive on the pitch. I have this real passion to, to be involved in, in sessions. And that doesn't mean barking orders. That's, you know, little questions. It's you, using all the skills that you learn over time to, to influence the players, as we said earlier on. Um, it's a hard question because, I, you know, I don't, I think about it, but actually putting it into words of what it is when you get on that pitch to be the best that you can be, it's almost like a, it's turning on a, a switch to a certain extent. It's a real passion for it and, and enjoyment. I think that's probably the word really, you know, I love it. And just, you know, just kind of you talk there about that that passion and that enjoyment for it, you know, I think a lot of coaches within that now, having that passion, it's also, you know, kind of sparks the thought for me about how important it is to have a passion for the players that you're working with. And what, where I come from in that respect is maybe the age group or the stage of development mm. um, and becoming a specialist in that area. So, you know, uh, unfortunately, uh, the money tends to sit on the surface of things anyway, it tends to sit in terms of the yeah. age groups, um, in terms of roles and salaries, um, which kind of can be a, a motivating factor for some coaches to want to, I guess, work in those, in those jobs, but maybe have a, have a conflict of interest in that their passion probably lies with maybe working in a different area of the game, whether that be with younger players, whether it be working as opposed to working in the professional yeah. phase that want to work in the foundation yeah. phase players, or as opposed to being, uh, a phase lead, they just want to be uh, a, a you know a, a, a sessional member of the st- staff for the staff yeah. and team um, because it allows them to focus on different mm. things. You might just look into how important that is for coaches to maybe really do some self reflection. I'll be touching that earlier, but and become more self aware about what it is that they are more passionate about in that in that aspect. Yeah. So obviously. You know, we are living in the real world. You know, we have to think about finances to an extent, but I think within that, if we're going to be, I guess, able to achieve our best in a coaching capacity in particular, mm. we've got to be passionate about yeah. who we're yeah. coaching and why we're coaching, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think there's a couple of things that you've touched on there. That, that You're right that it's frustrating at times and because, you know, I've worked with so many fantastic people that have, this real innate ability to inspire young young children to to fall in love with the game and and be the best and and challenge them from you know all four corners in terms of 
developing them as as players as well as people. Um, and like you say, sometimes unfortunately the the money within the foundation phase doesn't really. Um, allow those great people to stay in that role for too long because they just can't sustain that with with families and mortgages or you know all, all mm. the other commitments they might have. Um, but what I would say is that you know some of the best coaches that I've worked with and some of the people that I've supported have the ability to adapt and, and work with all age groups. And I think there's there's some fundamental skills as a coach. If you get them right, you can adapt them to work with every age group. But you're right to a certain extent that we, we do need to encourage people to realise what their super strengths are and, and what what their abilities are in terms of the age groups they're working with. And we just need organisations now to support that by, you know, making from a financial perspective it viable for them to stay in those those groups and not feel like they they need to to move up the ladder in terms of age groups. Um, you know, if you think about the younger age groups, you know, passion, enjoyment, um, being able to present yourself in a way that the, the kids can understand what you're, you're sharing with them is no different to to what you do with senior players. You just do it in a slightly different way. Um, mm. But, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see a time where our foundation phase coaches are seen as the most important part in the journey because if you get the foundation right and and you get that base of fundamentals the 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 love for the game right then to be honest the rest of it should be easy definitely definitely i feel like um you know as the football world is kind of expanding you can see that like there is more like sort of specialism coaching coming out Mm. and you would hope that like you know in in that sense there that it, it starts to kind of feed into the actual of like coaching aspect of it in terms of the different stages and whatnot. Like you've got yeah. like great representatives of like foundation phase like Pete Sturgis that is, you know, doing well to really like, you know, show the sort of qualities that you need to be coaching at that age group. And yeah. You just yeah. hope in the future that, you know, it'll be just you know, just as respected as the top end, um top bit of it as well. Yeah, I, I think just to touch on that, you know, Pete Pete is an unbelievable coach he's an unbelievable person and and, and again i think he, he articulates everything we, we talked about and the passion and enthusiasm to to make a difference um and and pete could coach all age groups there's no doubt about that but you know mm. what what he's shown is that the real skills and and attributes that are needed to to inspire young players and yeah you know I don't need to say most of your your listeners will, will know of pete's work with the england dna and and his, his ideas uh, sh- should be adopted across, you know, primary schools, RTCs, academies. You can really learn a lot from from what he's sharing at the moment. Definitely. And um, I just wanted to uh, move it on a bit uh, to a slightly more controversial question. In terms, <laughs> in terms can of... I can I refuse to answer? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, in terms of like what are your like bit you've kind of touched on it a bit like um, as the conversation has been going but like what are your like sort of biggest bugbears when it comes to coaching like the practice of coaching like where what have you seen uh what, you know when you're going around in terms of what coaches do that you, you don't yeah. you're not a particular fan yeah. of it yeah, that's the, that. That's not. Too, I can answer that. That's not too controversial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With names. Um, <laughs> all right, maybe not. <laughs> um, 
yeah, I think uh, I think we've touched on it a little bit in terms of you know some of my frustrations at times. You know, probably probably going back to you know coaching my boys in terms of grassroots is that that coach that doesn't see their players as people first and players second, and their behaviours are unacceptable in the way that they they scream and shout, the way that they. Um, unfortunately make children feel um insecure and and you know potentially the the you know strongest word scared of actually doing things wrong um so you know those coaching behaviors that don't allow players to to really enjoy the game is is probably my biggest bugbear and you, you probably you can probably relate to this, uh, and I'm sure you're the same, is that number of times I've stood watching other games or just walking across the fields and seeing, and seeing coaches behave this way. I just, I just want to go and have a word with them and, and, and remind them that you, you're working with six-year-olds, seven-year-olds. It's not the World Cup. It, you're not being paid for this. It's not as important as you think it is. Um, and re- make them realise the the impact that they're potentially having on the long term development of that child and whether they stay in the game. So, you know, that's probably the, my biggest frustration. And I think we're doing great work through the mentors within the FA and and, and the other groups that are supporting in this around around the country. I think it's 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 changed dramatically, um, but it's still not perfect. I don't think it ever will be. But we'll we'll do our best to carry on with that. Um, and. My my second, and this isn't controversial anyway, I think, you know, my biggest challenge in terms of what we do and, and, and we see is coaches that overcomplicate it. Mm. Um, it's what everyone thinks. It is quite a simple game. And, and I know that's a cliche, but, you know, trying to, trying to put on fancy sessions that the kids don't understand and... You maybe don't understand where you're taking it. it. Only leads to one thing, which is frustration, and frustration then leads into um, boredom, and boredom leads into behaviours that um, the coach doesn't like, which then turns into a conflict between players and coach. And all of a sudden, there's no learning, there's no fun, there's no enjoyment, and and all of a sudden, everyone walks off at the end of the session and going, "That's a waste of time." So probably, you know, one of it's it's advice as much as a, a a point to note is keep it simple. You know, coaches at grassroots artistic don't try and overcomplicate your sessions. Keep it simple, and and you you'll gain more than trying to put on something too complex that is po- probably not relevant. And I think that's a challenge a little bit at the moment, guys, of social media coaching. And what I mean by that is that, you know, people post some fantastic sessions and, you know, some videos and animations. And I think it's brilliant that we share in this this way. But whatever you might take from social media or, or seeing other people's sessions, you've got to make sure you put it back into what does this mean for my players, my ages, of my players so trying to do a, a Barcelona rondo with a group of five-year-olds and not getting the same results you've got to appreciate it's a completely different context so so making sure you you always take any practices you steal from social media and and relate it back to your players their age their development and and their skill ability at that point no definitely I feel like um We've been saying it like on this podcast for the past like couple of episodes that we've done in terms of like the best coaches are the best thieves. 
in terms of they take yeah. what they they take what they need, but not like uh, completely just taking what you see um into yeah. your context because it is a different context and whatnot. And if you can understand how to kind of adapt it, that's where you can kind of get the the good yeah. things. And and sometimes you see something and you don't necessarily want to take it. Like, for example, I saw like a, um someone make like a diamond uh, pitch, and I do see. The, the logic in it but for me personally I just don't uh, don't play football on the diamond pitch so like, <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I, I don't I don't see the benefit of doing it but whereas someone else may see see it that yeah. can apply in their context where they probably want their wingers coming in as they're getting closer to the uh, opposition's goal and stuff like that yeah yeah, I think, you know, on that, I think everyone, every coach will have their bias and, and their bias will be built upon their prior experiences, maybe coaches that they've worked under and their own experiences growing up. And uh, the For me, the outstanding, the excellent coach does exactly what he says. It, it sees some things and, and takes the good bits that work for them and, and are able to sort of remove the bits that they go that, isn't right for them at that moment or their group of players at that moment rather than I just think, stealing I think it. On that, Mark, I think the key thing there for me is just, sorry, just That's right. there, is that they're actually able to identify. And, you know, if it, I, I've always looked at it as almost like a, an antique dealer. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, so you, you go and look at the bits that are, are, are worth something yeah. and, you pick, and you take them and, you, and, and then you try and push those on. And then you've got the other bits that maybe, yeah, it might be just as old. It might be, it might, it might be attached to it in some way, but that's not actually the bit that's valuable. If that makes sense, yeah, um, yeah, uh, and that, that's how yeah. I view it. So you know that that whole thing about the coaches being the best thieves, and yeah, the bet. Well, if you actually look at it on a deeper level, the, the best thieves are the ones who take something worth taking. If that makes yeah. sense, yeah, yeah. No, you're right, and I, I think there's a skill in that, and that that comes with experience as well. You know, I think, you know, as you, know, you know, relate back to my my coaching. As a, as a younger coach that you, you would like you say potentially just steal everything and just um, drag it from one area and put it into your area with not any real meaning of what it means for you at that moment but I think as you as you develop as a coach and, and you become a little bit more aware of what what's right for you and what's right for your players you do exactly that you you will see things and go yeah I can use that part and and that's really important. I can see how that works with my players and how that might work in my coaching. Um, but I'll I'll leave this little bit over here out because I don't like that. And I think sometimes that's what we see with coaching behaviours. I think sometimes again, TV and 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 observing other coaches. Sometimes you you see certain people getting success with their coaching behaviours. You think that must be how I I get success, and and therefore you. Yeah, and I think within that as well, you've also got that element of not just taking and leaving things behind that you don't necessarily like, but also leaving things behind because they're maybe not appropriate. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I think you're right. I think that's, you know, as as you build layers in your coaching as you get older, exactly that, there will be times where something that wasn't right then becomes right for you and, and an experience and, and a coach that invests time in themselves will be able to relate back to prior experiences and and, and take that away and, and use it in a way then that can sort of benefit them and the players they're working with in that, that future moment. Um, Definitely. You know, just to, just to kind of harken back to your, your journey itself, would you say that 
throughout your journey you've maybe had any major influences possibly in the form of mentor if so um you know who who who, who would they be and what were the biggest lessons you've kind of taken from them yeah no it's a, it's a great question in terms of the sort of role models i think you know you know something that we talk a lot about on on coaching courses in terms of your influences and everything and you know i think everyone knows that probably the, the biggest influence in your lives first of all is your parents because you spend so much time with them and their their behaviors and you know from that perspective sort of there was from my parents perspective there was this drive to support me and you know they'd drive me around the country they'd, they'd do anything to sort of help me it wasn't pushy it was just like you know we'll do anything and then sort of after that you go to number two and three is often a teacher and then a coach um and i can i can look back and and i look at the empathy and the support and that passion i I don't think you go much further than sort of some of your your early coaches in terms of uh, you know I, i played for a side in watford um, as a grassroots, first of all, at Gateside Rangers, and, and my manager was a guy called Ron Woods. And you know, sadly, Ron died a few years ago. But you know, we all keep in touch as a group of players, and, and I think that, first of all, is a testament to to the environment that Ron created. That we weren't just players playing the team; we were friends. And so, you know. Someone like Ron was someone that I would take that from in terms of that putting the, the person first and making it enjoyable um, from that perspective. But then if we go into more of a sort of detailed perspective, then, you know, in a way, it was such a short time, but that time that I spent in Millwall and, and, and the Dave, who's now assistant at Cardiff with, with Neil Harris, I took a huge amount from because what Dave taught me sitting next to him in the office for for a season and a half was um, attention to detail in in my planning and preparation for for training and I've probably not really told him this so if he listens he he probably won't (laughs) realise what an impact he had Um, but you know just looking at the the detail that he put in his training sessions and, and you know as we said earlier on, of having a plan A, plan B, that you know, having that ideas of what was coming next, what what might happen if this didn't happen, was was something that I really, really thought that he he did really well. Um, so, I think you just sort of to sum up that in terms of I know that's two people, and and I think as you go as a coach and you evolve and you work in different environments, there's always going to people that you're going to you'll learn things from, you know, I work with three people now where we're all very different in terms of our journeys, but even now the three people I work with in terms of Amy, Kelsey and Robbie, I, I'm always learning from them and I hope that they learn from me as well in these times. So I don't think anyone will always have just one role model or or mentor that they, they go back to. Um, But, but they'll, it's, it grows and, and changes in time. I don't know whether I answered your question there or not. Yeah, no, definitely. definitely. <laughs> um, no, just kind of, kind of to kind of build on that. Then you know, if you had an opportunity to you know go back uh, twenty five years ago when your coaching journey started, and you had an opportunity to speak to the Mark Swells of stepping into the coaching world, then um, what would have, what would be your message that you'd want to give him? Yeah, good question. Um, the question would be the the sort of 
would be don't try and do too much too quickly. Um, don't get upset when things don't go well. And I've realised that it's an opportunity to to learn from those mistakes or those, I don't like using the word failures, but those moments where it doesn't go how you want it to go. Um, learn and listen and, and watch others. And, and everything we just talked about, you know, just try and work out what's what's right for you in that moment and with that group of players. Um, but the one thing I would probably go back and, and tell myself is don't ever forget the passion and enjoyment that you get out of it. And if you really do enjoy it, then just make sure whatever you do in your coaching, wherever it takes you, that there's a smile on your face and you're doing it for the right reasons. Mm. You know, and I've, I've started to kind of wind down now. Obviously, currently working as a national coach developer, obviously there's a lot of a lot of things going on at the moment. But just for yourself on a personal mm. level, what would, be, what would you say is next for Mark's Wells? Well, you know, it's, it's an exciting time to be involved in a women's and girls game. And, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough at the moment to be working with not just a group of staff that are fantastic, but also, you know, having the opportunity to work with the elite end of the women's game of going into WSL clubs, championship clubs and, and supporting that that approach to to player development through supporting the coaches. Um, there is a desire to continue to coach. Um, there's a desire to get more back on the grass. So, you know, at some point and not in the short term, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd love to, to go back into to to coaching full time in some capacity, uh, whether that you know the women's game, I would have definitely you know definitely in the future being involved with a first team in WSL, you know maybe even pathway with national teams coaching somewhere along those lines would would be something. But you know I've gone down the coach development route for the last eight ten years, and 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 that's what's been real fun with that is that it links my passions of education and football. So, you know, having that blend has been, been brilliant. Um, but there's still, still this itchy feet part of me is like, I want to, I want to be working with players as well. So I, I would think at some point in the future, I'll, I'll, I'll get back on the grass with, with players full time, hopefully. Yeah. Well, and you know, just on a, a nice if you had six seconds now to kind of wrap up a golden nugget for us or our listeners to kind of maybe take away and apply within their own work, yeah. what would that be? Um, Pressure's on you. Yeah, I know. All right. So it, it would be, um, don't take yourself too seriously. Learn from everything you do. Make sure you dedicate enough time to your own personal development and not expect it just to be handed on a plate to you. Um, and what I mean by that is making sure that you, you, if you do a course, if you do a level one, a level two, whatever it may be, don't think that's the end product. That take take the messages, take the information that's shared with you on the courses, and then find ways to build on that knowledge and information. But but most importantly, probably the the second part of my golden nugget, or my second golden nugget, am I allowed to? Is 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 to make sure whatever you do that you put the 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 child the player whoever it is at the center of everything you do and, and make sure whatever you 
you choose to do with them leaves them in a better place than where they started. And that doesn't mean just technically and tactically that, you know, when they walk off that pitch after that training session, the game that you've inspired them in a way that makes them want to come back. It makes them want to go and play again. Um, And sort of the final part is that, you know, probably some of the best things that I've experienced have been not, not the football itself, but how many people that you interact with within the game and, and people that keep coming back into your lives over, over a period of time because you've had that positive impact, that connection with them through, through football. And, and don't underestimate the power of that friendship and, and, and things that can gain from being a coach with players. Um, that's a bit of a waffle, but I hope that makes sense. No, definitely makes sense. <laughs> um, but look, Mark, it's been a fantastic discussion for us today. Um, you know, some plenty of things that we've kind of pulled out on there. Um, I'm, I hope it's been an enjoyable one for you too. No, well. it's been it's been a pleasure. Um, Thank you for having me on. I mean, it's always good to talk coaching. Um, and on that note, uh, Mark, I'm not sure if you've got any social media handles where people can get in touch with you. Um, yeah, good. <laughs> my my Twitter account is on there. Um, God, you're challenging me now. I can't even remember what it is. It's swells <laughs> underscore Mark, I think it is. Uh, but um, Twitter's my main one. I, I'm on Instagram, but I don't, I'll be honest, I'm not a big Instagram user. I'm a bit bit old school, unfortunately, guys. I'm not I'm, I'm not a massive social media man. You guys will be intrigued to know what you're listening from as well. Sorry, Mark. No, I did get it right. It is swells underscore Mark. <laughs> Just check. Oh, okay, that's yeah, not... <laughs> Perfect. So, guys, do get in touch. Let us know your thoughts. Um, any views and opinions from today's episode um, also we'll be intrigued to know where you're listening from over the last few weeks in particular we, our listenership is growing globally we're now in 19 different countries and hope that's going to continue to grow so please do like share subscribe well there you have it guys another edition of the Coaches Network Insight Series where we sit down with experienced individuals across the multiple disciplines within the coaching world hoping to explore their journeys and key insights in order to package away some golden nuggets that you can apply to help you reach your full potential. I've no doubt that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have, but I just want to say thanks again for tuning in. The support is much appreciated. Please do get in touch with us and today's guests. Let us know where you're listening from to share your thoughts, views and key takeaways from today's show, along with any suggestions you may have for guests or future topics on the show that you'd like to hear discussed. Ultimately, guys, the show is about yourselves. The content is for you and we just want to continue to create that great content. On that note, get in touch with us on Instagram at The Coaches Network and on Twitter at The Coaches Net. And if you want to touch base with Coach Ben, he's available on Instagram and Twitter at FocusBXN. Lastly, guys, keep an eye on our socials for the latest updates and announcements for upcoming guests and discussion topics with the panel. And until next time, guys, take care. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together.